mind. Well, um, I would have to say that I'm really enjoying these studies in Acts. Um, it's very interesting to know how the Lord continues to make His presence known and fulfilled His promise when He said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you with a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And I think that is an underlying theme of the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit has been able in various ways to manifest itself and allow us to see how um, how God can work in and through people who are not extraordinary in and of themselves, but who give themselves wholly to our Lord. Um, is there anyone who would like to read for me Acts chapter 4? I think we're going to start with verses 1 through 4, and then we'll go on to the next section. I saw as I was studying one breakdown that breaks this passage of the first 31 verses, which is what I'll be covering, into three basic areas. Um, one is the results of Peter's preaching. Second is the trial of Peter and John. And third is the results of that trial. So, if we could have someone read the first four verses of Acts chapter 4, I would appreciate it. Verse 4? Yes. Now they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the, the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Okay, there's a, there's a couple things that we notice right away. Um, number one, the religious leaders were disturbed. There's no big surprise here because they were often disturbed by the things that Jesus said. And what did Jesus say before He went to be with His Father? He said, If the world hates Me, it will hate you when you speak for My name. And so we see everything Jesus says comes true because Jesus has never lied. And in the Old Testament, God says, I am not a man that I should lie. And so... Even Jesus, as He took on the form of man, He was God, and, 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 and so therefore, He couldn't lie. Everything He said was going to come true. And the next thing that we see, and anybody can jump in at any time with any observations, by the way, that they want to add, but the next thing I saw in this passage is that this passage reviews, reveals the continuing struggle between Jesus and the religious leaders. If somebody could look up Matthew 28, verses 11 to 15, we will see um, that one of the big ways that the religious leaders tried to get their own way, um, even after Jesus had died and rose again, and because... The guards at the tomb, they come to their leaders and they say, they tell them what happened. I'm assuming they, they 
I don't know if they actually saw the resurrection, but they, they knew that something occurred at that tomb. And so they go and they tell the religious leaders. And if somebody could read that passage... Now, I used to think that they did this because they didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And they just wanted to be done with it and, and you know, they, they thought this was foolishness to begin with. But the more I study this passage and the more I think about the things that went on, I tend to believe that they believed intellectually that Jesus had done exactly what he said he would do. But they were so hard in their hearts and so power crazy and so eager to retain control of the people that they would rather bold-facedly, arrogantly lie to the people than allow the truth to be perpetuated. I mean, think about this. They nail him to a cross. They think it's done. Now they have evidence that he's alive. You know, one thing I often wondered is why why Jesus didn't just go to Caiaphas and appear to Caiaphas and say, you know, you tried to end this. You tried to kill me, but I'm alive. And I can only imagine what might have been going through Caiaphas's mind if this had happened. But the Lord chose not to. I think um, because the Lord chooses not, you know, if people reject Him, He's not going to force Himself in. And these people had clearly rejected Him. So, He chose instead to appear to people that He knew would accept Him. And so, the next thing that happens is they arrest Peter and John for teaching in Jesus' name. Because they're so sick and tired of hearing Jesus' name. I'm sure that they probably hoped, at least initially when they nailed Jesus to the cross, that all this talk about Jesus of Nazareth would end. I mean, when somebody dies, that's usually the end. There's, there's really no more that can be said. And so, it should be over. And they again try to make things be over by arresting Peter and John. But the damage, if you will, has already been done because it says that 5,000 men came to be saved through this particular sermon that Peter had just preached in um, chapter 3 and also through the healing of this man. And now, there's one observation that I want to make. It's not a very important one. 
but one of the things that I've that I've looked at is it says the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And I'm just wondering if maybe that number is just the men who were saved and there might have been an additional number of people if you included women and children. Now that, that could be up for debate and it's not that important. But just thinking about that, the impact was amazing either way and they knew that they had to stop it. So they put Peter and John in prison. And one thing that I thought of as we go on is they put them in prison overnight because it was already evening. And I thought this was particularly interesting because when they put Jesus on trial, they didn't care that it was evening. They, they, they um, put him on trial in the middle of the night and they went through the whole trial process. I think it was like six different hearings. And they had him crucified by the morning of the next day. So it's interesting that they didn't care about their own procedures when it came to crucifying Jesus because they wanted him to be so... They, they so wanted to get rid of him that they didn't even care about the rules that they supposedly held dear. Now, if somebody could read the um, next section, which is Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 22. And it came to pass on the morrow that there were rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, Machiavellus, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deeds done to the impotent man, by what means is made whole? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you, baby, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man with his heels standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, 
whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, said ye. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God to death, death which is done. All right, thank you. Um, one, one observation I have under this point is that the people who questioned Peter were a, a who's who of Jewish leadership. So all the important Jewish leaders were there. And they thought so much of themselves and their power, they didn't have room in their hearts to acknowledge the power of God. The important thing in this whole matter is that there was a man standing there in their midst who had been crippled for 40 years and he was walking and he was praising God and all they could think about was that Jesus was getting more credit than them. See, I don't even think it was about whether Jesus was alive again or or any of that. I think it was more about the fact that they didn't want to share their glory with God. The only one who is able to justifiably be jealous of glory is God Himself. I, I once heard somebody say that you couldn't serve God because the first four commandments were too self-centered. God was too self-centered in the first four commandments in His expectations of us. But the Creator is able to say to the creation anything He wants. It's important for us to keep that in perspective. And just, if you would like more information on the, the Jewish way that they conducted trials, you can go to Deuteronomy 17 verses 1 to 7 on your own time and you can see some of the specific reasons why Peter and John had to be thrown in prison for the night according to their law so that they could do the trial by day. The next thing that I noticed was that they asked a pretty familiar question. Because they said, by whose authority do you do these things? Now, first of all, I think that they, they knew, but they were just kind of goading Peter and John. But Peter took it as a great opportunity to witness for the Lord. It's interesting because they, they wanted to shut Peter and John up, but they actually gave them a new platform. So, um, their own methods they think are going to work actually backfire on them. I, I just think that's humorous in a way because the, the more they try to stifle the Gospel, the more it gets out. And um, another thing I noticed as I was going through this passage is that just as Jesus predicted, Peter knew exactly what to say. Um, could somebody look up Luke chapter 12 verses 11 and 12 and read that?
you the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you want to say. Now we, we definitely see that in this passage, don't we? Because they ask the question and it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good day done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So, the the religious leaders really didn't accomplish their goal if they didn't want Jesus to keep getting glory because right there Peter lays it out and he goes on to say that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And see, these religious leaders, they thought that they were were good. They thought they had all the answers and, and maybe in words, intellectually, they had a lot of them, but they didn't have the important ones. And the important one is that Jesus Christ is the answer and not them. And So if that's the same word, then then we're probably talking about not only his physical healing, but his his eternal redemption as well. So um, that that's an amazing thing which I did not pick up on when I was studying that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fourth main observation that I make is they knew they had been with Jesus I saw a great role reversal here because the seemingly powerful the elite were rendered powerless because they rejected God and on the other hand the powerless this man who was before a fisherman an unlearned man which by the way unlearned in in the Hebrew I forget what the exact or the the Greek I forget what the exact word is but the meaning isn't necessarily stupid it's more or less they knew that these people were not in the elite it was it was a it was a declaration of class they knew that these people were not in their class and so therefore they marveled that they would speak so freely because they, they weren't rabbis, they weren't respected teachers, but um, this shows that God is no respecter of persons, that He um, uses anyone, and that we are all, as we read in, 
later in the New Testament, priests and kings before our Lord. And so, um, it's just interesting how God took a fisherman like Peter, who, who was known before Acts for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time repeatedly, and was able to use him to say the right thing at the right time. And um, for more insight into who Peter was when he first met Jesus, let's look really quickly, and somebody can look this up and read it, um, at Luke 5, verses 8 to 11. When Simon Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we see Peter, you know, he rightly, I I think he made the correct first step because he knew that he was a sinful man. And because he, he made that correct first step, God was able to take him and use him in a way that he never would have imagined. And I, and I think that he can do the same with us. And one question that I would like to challenge you with is that when people interact with you, do they know that you've been with Jesus? Can they tell? I know that sometimes, especially in my younger years, but even now today sometimes, some days, it's, it can be hard for people to tell that I've been with Jesus. And maybe that's because I haven't been with Him as much as I should be. You know, Jesus wants a close, intimate, personal relationship with us. And if we just put Him on a shelf to take Him off when we're going through a struggle or when we pray to Him on Sunday, He will answer us. He will hear us. But He wants so much more than that. And I think, for me, this past year, I've learned in a really remarkable way the truth of the scripture that says pray without ceasing do I always fulfill that no but it's nice to know that I have a direct connection to the father in heaven any time of the day or night and lately I've been going through a a lot more stress through work and other things and it's just been helpful to uh, be able to keep me afloat to know that I can talk to the Lord at any time. And um, so, I challenge you to um, be exercised to spend time with Jesus so that when people see you, they'll be able to say that you had been with Jesus. They'll be able to know. And, And then we come to the next point, the last point, the last passage of Scripture here, and that is 
the response of the church to the persecution they just experienced. Could somebody read Acts 4.23-31? to 31? I just want to backtrack a little bit because I, I I missed one point in the previous section that I would like to make. Um, through this whole process, this this lame man is standing there. He's been healed. They can't deny it. Everybody knows him because the, it's made clear in the text that he's been there um, at the temple gate for many years. He's been lame from his birth, and he's he's over 40 years old. So. You you can't say this is a fluke because everybody knew who this guy was. Um, it wasn't like um, a false teacher who brings a fake sick person with them wherever they go from city to city, healing them repeatedly to make sure that they look good. You know, this is somebody that had the obvious reputation of being the cripple that begged at the at the temple gate, and people knew, and so he's standing there. He's just praised God and thanked Him for saving him physically and hope and presumably spiritually as well. And so there's nothing they can do to dispute it. You know, when I think about this, I think about um, the issue of abortion too. Um, there used to be a big push for people to say, well, it's not really a baby. It's just, it's just cells. It's just tissue. And, you know... Um, but now, with the advances in technology and surgery, I don't know if you remember, but a few years back there was a story about a baby with spina bifida who had surgery um, before he was born. And they actually opened his mom up, pulled him out of her womb, did the surgery, and put him back in. And while the surgery was going on, the baby reached out and grabbed the hand of the doctor and wrapped his fingers around that doctor's finger. And um, it was, uh, I, I think it was on a Time magazine cover, and I even saw that, that they, there was a company that made a, a t-shirt about it. And um, so the obvious evidence was there. 
So they can't go on the fact that it's not a baby anymore. Now they just have to talk about the burden that it is to the woman and say things like, would you want to go through nine months tied to another person? And and things of that nature that are absolutely um, sad and it's insane that they go there, but they can't say anymore that it's not a baby because, I mean, that just doesn't work because it's clear that it is. And in the same way, these people could not say that this man was not healed because it was obvious to everyone there that he had been. And then they forbade them to speak in the name and they let them go because they didn't have any legal right to hold them. I don't know if they really thought that forbidding them to speak in God's name would do any good, especially after they heard Peter's mini-sermon to them. He obviously wasn't backing down. But they tried it anyway. And so, then we move on to this next part, which we just read about. Yeah. Okay, and so we, I saw four um, distinct things about this response. They praised God. Now, I don't know about you, but generally when I'm persecuted, the last thing I want to do is say, Thank you, Lord, for making my life difficult today. Thank you, Lord, for that person who, who said something derogatory to me. Usually, my natural response is, Lord, get that person out of my life or get this pain off me. But they didn't. They praised God. That was their first response. Before they asked for anything personally, they praised God for what He had done. And then they prayed for boldness. How many times have you or I prayed for boldness to share Christ more effectively? I don't think I do it enough. Sometimes I think I could just live a peaceful life. You know, the Bible talks about living a peaceful life with all men. and Sometimes we think that means keeping our mouths shut, but that's obviously not what the disciples were thinking at this time. And then it says they continued to witness with power. They had just been they just been a night in prison. They'd just been before the Sanhedrin. 
And they continued to witness with power. And I think sometimes we need to really reevaluate things because I think sometimes when a certain body or whatever tells us that we should keep our mouths shut and not share Christ and not share the truth, and an increasingly new thing, even among Christian organizations, is to share the love of Christ without sharing about the judgment of Christ and the reality of sin and the fact that we cannot get to heaven with unconfessed sin in our life standing between us and God. And that the only way to deal with that sin is to trust Jesus Christ to take it from us. But, you know, I know of a prominent preacher who was on Larry King Live not too long ago. And he said, I, I don't preach about sin because that's too negative. But it's only through, through learning about sin and our true position before the Lord as human beings as people, that we can truly appreciate and enter into what Jesus did for us. Because if there was no sin, if sin was not a problem, then Jesus wouldn't have hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. He would not have endured beating. He would not have endured any of that if sin was not a problem for us. And even more than the physical torture is the fact that God the Father Himself turned His face away and Jesus Himself had to cry, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And for people to make the assertion that sin does not matter. That that is so painful to me. And I'm sure all the more painful to God who gave His everything to make sure that we didn't have to suffer sin's consequences. And then as they also witnessed with power, they supported one another, which we'll get into more in next week's lesson. They cared for one another. And I'm sure it's easier to be persecuted when you know that you have brothers and sisters who are bearing you up in prayer. That's why it's so important for us to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world and even here in the USA, because I'm sure that they can feel our prayers of support and that it helps them to stay focused on what the Lord has called them to do. As we end tonight, I want to share with you a story about a preacher, Hugh Latimer, who preached before King Henry VIII. It says here, 
Hugh Latimer once preached before King Henry VIII. Henry was greatly displeased by the boldness in the sermon and ordered Latimer to preach again on the following Sunday to apologize for the events for the offense he had given. The next Sunday, after reading his text, he thus began his sermon. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholdeth all things, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell? Therefore, take care that thou deliver thy message faithfully. He then preached the same sermon he had preached the preceding Sunday with considerably more energy. I don't know about you, but that humbles me. I'm sure that if the Lord gave me that grace in that moment, same as He gave Peter and Hugh Latimer, I could do it with His help. But at this point in my life, I, I can't imagine being placed in that position. And I'm challenged. And I'm seeking the Lord that I would have a similar testimony. I think sometimes we have it too easy here. We don't take advantage of the opportunities that we do have. And so I want to challenge you and myself as well that we would take these words to heart and that we would not remember simply Him who kills the body. Because if our body is killed, we are reminded of the great promise to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if we deny our Father before men, if we deny Jesus before men, He will deny us before the Father, which is a much greater problem. And so I would encourage you to share your faith because those of us who've met the Lord know what a great change He makes in life when He's allowed to do so. I can't imagine living without the Lord, especially in the day in which we live. And I'm sure that many of you can echo those same feelings and sentiments. That was all I had. If anybody has any other comments, um, they're welcome to share.
24 says, So when they heard that they raised their voice to God, the one accord said, Lord. And the word, the Greek word for Lord is an uncommon New Testament title for God that means absolute master, I think. And the day that we live today. And, um, not only Obama, but every almost every something contrary to this word. Yeah, just to, um, to add a little bit to that, um, just I've been listening to uh, a DVD, uh, a couple DVDs I got out by um, the guy's name is Greg Banson, I think it is, and he's a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, and the tapes are actually geared to kids going into college talking about how to defend your faith, and one of the things you notice. Um, well, he, one of the things you notice is that people, that the people, the professors in college are not willing, they'll come up and they'll say, well, you're not willing because you're a Christian, you're not willing to accept our evidence against Christianity. But what, in actuality, they're not willing to accept the evidence for Christianity. And they're out there, they're saying, well, I'm objective. And really, you know, they're taking it from their perspective and they're all, they have all these biases that they are not willing to look at, you could say, well, you could look at this and say, well, look at, look at a tree, you know. Uh, to me, it's self-evident. It was created. And they say, well, you know, to me, that's, you know, that's not evidence at all. And he had one debate I was listening to. It was um, an atheist, a prominent atheist. I forgot the guy's name. But the guy, they asked him, well, what would, what would cause you to believe in God? And he said, well, if a hand came out from heaven and reached down and grabbed me, 
then then I would have to start thinking about it. Maybe <laughs> as if you know you know no matter how much evidence, unless there's something that's absolute direct, you know, unless God absolutely grabs you and, and shakes you, then you, you can't then you wouldn't even believe, you wouldn't even accept it. So just to elaborate on that, that people are their their self. They're they're putting a wool. Oh, they're self dece- deceiving themselves. Well, um, I'm not sure what the number is, but I think it would be appropriate to end this session by singing, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I'm pretty sure it's in our song book. Thank <laughs> you.